not because there's anything special about them or something that I knew was coming. In fact, the reason I was afraid or was fearing these three weeks was because I didn't know what was coming. Um, let, me, let me explain that a little further. Last year, about the middle of the summer, I had laid out all of the sermons all the way to last week. I knew what we were going to be going through. I had an idea of, of what the sermon was. Now, obviously, I had the work to do to prepare the sermons and get ready. But as we approached last week, through this summer, the, the pressure, the stress, the fear got stronger and stronger and stronger because when Brent closed out our series last week, I didn't know what I was going to preach today. Now, that's out of character. I mean, typically I can come up with 40 minutes worth of talking to do if you know me. I, I can talk about something, right? But, and I was, I was, I was stressed. And I don't want you to think that I wasn't thinking about it, that it wasn't important to me because it was consuming my mind. I mean, really, it was beginning to consume me completely. I was praying about it. I was seeking God. I was asking him to give me a message, to, to give me a sermon to come and preach to you, to share with you. And I was even asking others to pray and sharing with them this burden. You know, hey, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what we're going to do. We might as well, you know, we can have some songs and, and go home. I don't know. I have no idea. I had ideas. I, 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 had, I had things that would come to mind, and I just knew in my spirit, I just knew they weren't right. And even Monday night at our leadership meeting, I sat down with our leadership team and, 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 and came to a conclusion. This is, what's, this is what we're going to do. And here, it was Thursday, really. I knew, still knew, that's not what I was going to do because it wasn't what God wanted me to do. And I felt that conviction in my spirit. I just knew it. And I just kept calling out, God, give me a sermon, give me a sermon, give me a sermon. And Thursday and Friday have become my sermon prep days. I study and read and think through the week and then, and then really work on Thursday and Friday to put them together. But Friday morning when I sat down to prepare a sermon, I didn't have a sermon to prepare. And so I was stressed. So I started the day off reading my Bible, praying, calling out to God, crying out to God, please, God, do this for me. And it dawned on me. God spoke to me. And in, in, my, in, in my bedroom, sitting in the corner of my room, looking at a forest green wall, and maybe that's more information than you want to know about where my desk is, but, but the reality is staring at a wall at, at, at my desk, God showed up. And he showed something to me. He, he made me realize something that I had, had forgotten and had overlooked and had allowed to kind of take root in my heart that really struck me, that, 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 man, it, it broke me, honestly. I mean, I sat there and bawled and cried and repented and, and thanked him. You see, I had, an, I had a sense. I, was, I wasn't so worried about what you would do if I came to you and said, hey, you know, I don't have a sermon this week. I'm sorry. I've prayed. I've sought after this. I've, I've talked to people about it, asked them to pray. Yeah, I, I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think you would forgive me. I think you would say, you know what, Seth, we love you, we, we affirm you, that's great. I think that that's what would happen. But what I really was fearing was not that you wouldn't want to be my friend anymore, but that you wouldn't want me to be your pastor anymore. See, it's pretty significant. Because somewhere along the way, as we've gone through this summer talking about knowing God and, and, and recognizing how his attributes and knowing what he's about, 
it, it impacts our life and is relevant to every day we live. Taking time to look at the work he's done in salvation and the grace we have in him. Somewhere in the process of that, I had begun to lead not because I wanted Jesus glorified, but I wanted myself glorified. And it broke me. I was crushed, really. I mean, it was dis- disappointing. I mean, it's never fun to look at yourself and recognize the depths of your depravity. But really, it's right where I needed to be. And then as it broke, as, as I repented, God led me to this passage. And honestly, as all things tie together, there's no better place for us to be. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3 today. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip there. The verses will be on the screen. If you've got a smart device and you use version, we've got a live event. You can find us on version and, and look for our event and follow along with the notes there as well. But let me just tell you, the writer of Hebrews has come to this point in this passage where he has built a definition of faith. He's given a definition of faith. He's talked about what it is, and then he illustrates it through people's lives. He names big names. It's the hall of faith, what some people call it. He he names big names. Noah, Abraham, Moses, people we all know who have lots of scripture devoted to their life and to the things that God used them for. But he also points out people of faith like Abel. You know, he's just got a few verses. But it starts with Abel, and and Abel was killed because of his faith. And in many ways, while he wasn't a Christian martyr, Abel was the first martyr. He died because he offered a a gift to God faithfully, and it made his brother jealous, and he killed him. Enoch. Enoch's got like two verses in the whole Bible, maybe three. I didn't go and count, but you're welcome to if you want. Enoch walked with God and then wasn't. And here in Hebrews, it tells us God took him. He didn't see death. Enoch didn't die because of his faith. And he shares about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute who, 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 because of her faith, spared the lives of the spies that had gone into the promised land. And then her own life was spared as well because of her faith. And see, the, the list keeps going. And it becomes more and more obvious that these people's faith is motivating. It's moving them to do something. The truth is, we probably all have people we know that would, would fit in this list. Their faith is so obvious, so real, so true that it's just evident in, the, in their lives, in the way that they live their lives. But he's the, the, the writer of Hebrews isn't just giving us illustration. He's building a foundation from which he's going to teach. It's important that we understand faith is the the assurance of things unseen, the the conviction or the evidence of that which we, it's it's the assurance of the things we hope for, the conviction or the evidence of the things unseen. The reality is we need to know that definition. We need to see it illustrated, but we need that because he's going to build off of it. He's going to teach us from it. And that's where we pick up in chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against sin, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I mean, stop right there. The, the thing is, is as I sat and read these verses, God led me to this place. And as I sat and read these verses, not only did I find the conviction, but I found the course correction that I needed. And I think the reality is that our church needs. See, the Christian life is, is a marathon, and Jesus is the prize. You see that? The Christian life is a marathon, and Jesus is the prize. But I had gotten tired of running. Man, I was coming every week and pouring my heart out to bring you these, these messages about God's glory and his, his greatness. I was coming and talking to you about his goodness and his grace. I was coming and excited to tell you about all that he's done through Jesus Christ to save you. Not that you had to do, but that he's done for you. I was so passionate and excited to share that with you. But somewhere in my heart, I began to grow tired. Because I'd hear things about how I, people weren't running with us, weren't running beside me anymore. They weren't willing to follow me. See, I'd taken my eyes off the prize. And I'd begun to look over my shoulder and think you were the prize. And I was getting tired of running. We've been talking about it all summer long. But as I looked at these verses and they began to break apart in front of me and I saw what he wanted to teach me and what I'm convinced he wanted me to teach you. So we're going to do that. We're going to walk through these four verses or the, uh, these three verses and we're going we're to look at five different points, but we're going to see four things that we can do as a result of who God is and what he's done. In verse, in verse 1, verse, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is pointing back to verse 11. Therefore, always points back to something ahead of it that, that gives you a... It, it's this, this phrase is here because that is there. So, so all of verse 11, we have to have these Old Testament heroes in our mind. We have to be thinking about all that they went through, all that they suffered, and why they did it. They did it because they trusted God. And we have to have that in, my, in their mind. And, and here's the thing is, is, as we look at them, as we look at them, it's, it's not that, that they're witnesses who are looking at us and watching our race. It's not like chariots of fire, you know, coming into the finish line. Bum, 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 bum. And they're surrounding you and cheering you on. Woo, yeah, go. Eh, maybe. Maybe they're excited for you. I, I think they probably are. But I think in this context, the reality is that they're witnesses because their life and their story are proclaiming God's faithfulness. You see, in their life, in their faith, we are proven God's faithfulness. We're shown that he is faithful. And so they're witnesses who give testimony to something. They're, they're, they're like witnesses on a tri in a trial who, hey, I saw this and it's true. 
And it's important that we, we, we look at their lives. It's important that we see it. It's important that we're able to study it. So I would encourage you. I would, I would encourage you wholeheartedly to go today and sit and read Hebrews 11. And look at the lives of these people who God saw fit to record in the, in the pages of Scripture as witnesses to his faithfulness by their faith. But there's one thing you won't gain. You will never gain by sitting and studying these people. We'll never truly experience God through someone else's experience. You you may be moved emotionally by their story. You may get a warm and fuzzy as you think about what they've done. It may excite you a little bit. But you'll never move past having information and knowledge, intellectual knowledge about God. You will never move to the place where we started out the beginning of this summer trying to go. You will never know your God in experience. You'll never know him in the intimacy that he desires for us to know him in. You see, studying the heroes of our faith is like training for the race. But the running is ours to do. It's important that we get up and begin to run. No one else can do it for you. No one else can make it happen for you. No one else can make up your mind and move your motives and and move your body and take the steps. Nobody else but you. It's important. We got to start running, we got to start racing. And so these next four things that are laid out, these next, these next words that, that the author of Hebrews has to say become of vital importance. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now mind you, mind you who the, who, who, who the writer of Hebrews is speaking to. He's speaking to a people who have already been saved. They have already been called righteous. They are children of God. If you read just a little further, he talks about how God disciplines his children. And if you're receiving discipline, it's because you're a child. They are already in this new life. They are already in this new identity. This is not a people who need to be saved. This is a people who belong to him. And the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside Every weight and sin which clings so closely. Don't be surprised by this. We are not the first generation of God's people that God expects to stop dabbling with sin. Oh, but I, I thought he had grace. Isn't his grace enough for me? Can I just keep doing what I'm doing? Can can I keep watching the movies I watch? Can I keep watching the TV? Can I keep committing my whole life to everything but him? Because his grace has got me. In the end, he'll be there. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I don't think that gives room for that. He doesn't say lay aside some of it. He doesn't say, hey, pick and choose the things you don't like. Go ahead and get rid of them. Pick and choose the things that aren't socially acceptable and set those aside. Pick and choose those things that you can hide and no one else will know. 
and you'll be okay with those. Do you hear that in, in that passage? There's no room. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In, in the Old Testament, God gave the law to the Israelites. And, and, and I know we're not saved by the law. God, Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. We're freed from the law. But God had an expectation for his people. In fact, he said, if you're going to be my people, you're going to obey my commands. That's New Testament truth, too. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 1.15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. He's holy, so you now be holy. Paul says it in Ephesians 4.1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. John says, 1 John 3.3. 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as pure. Christian, hear me. Hear God's word more importantly. Hear it. God has made you holy. So now act like it. Quit dabbling with sin. You hear me? There's no room for it among God's people. Quit playing with it. Quit it. No room. Set it aside. The author here deals more with, with more than just sin, though. He gives us another classification. He says the weight. The weight and the sin. And, and these weights are hindrances. They're things that, that slow us down. Can you imagine running? I mean, some people do it. Because they're sadistic, maybe. They don't just run a long way. They decide to put on a backpack and run or put weight on and run. That's, to me, silly. <laughs> if you like it, I'm sorry not to be offensive. You're probably skinnier than I am, and that's okay. But the reality is this, is that he's not just talking about sin. There's other things that, let, that, that we let get in the way. That we let hinder us from running. And as I studied this and I looked at it, I, th I thought, you know, what, what this is, it's, it's not things that are ultimately sins. It's, it's good things that we're letting get in the way of God's things. You see, for me, as I shared with you this story earlier about where I was at, it's not that I was just out and out in sin. I mean, the reality is it's a good thing to pastor a church, don't you think? I mean, isn't that a good thing to give your life to? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Pat me on the back, please. Hey, isn't it a good thing to sacrifice and give time out of the service to serve the family of God, to go and teach kids? Isn't it a good thing to serve in the church, to give to the church? Those are good things. Men, this is one, this is one you struggle with. This is very common for us to struggle with in our culture. Isn't it a good thing to go and provide for your family? Absolutely. That's a good thing. But the problem is, men, we, we typically find our identity in the place we work, in the job we do. We've been commanded to, to provide. We've been commanded to do this work. But something happens. We, 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 sometimes we, we quit caring about providing for their spiritual needs because we get so caught up in providing for their physical needs. 
or we get so caught up in the idea of providing for their physical needs that, that we give ourselves wholly and completely to just giving them whatever they want. Or we forget our families altogether. And we pursue a job to make a name for ourselves. Not to see Jesus glorified, but so that we can gain glory. Women, a common thing that women struggle with in our culture is beginning to idolize their families. The reality is we have a, we have a lot of brand new, beautiful little babies. <laughs> and it's a good thing. They are a blessing from God. But there's danger there. Suddenly your house and your life becomes a shrine to your child. The baby displaces daddy. You find glory in yourself, for yourself and how your child performs and, and as they're growing up, what your child accomplishes. Let me promise you, your children are not going to push back when you make them the center of your world. They're not going to feel bad about you exalting them and putting them on a pedestal, but I can promise you when they fall, you'll both be crushed. It's a good thing to be a parent. It's a blessing from God to be a parent. But oh, it can begin to be the reason we run. These are good things. And honestly, we can't quit them, right? I mean, we're commanded in Scripture. We're commanded in Scripture to serve the church. We're commanded in Scripture to serve our families. We're commanded in Scripture that that's where ministry starts. We can't quit them. We can't stop doing them. So we can't cast them off. What do we do with them? How do we deal with them? Sin is easy. In a manner of speaking. It's easier said than done to just quit it. You know, I can look at you and say, quit it. I can even shout it, quit it. I did it a minute ago, right? That's a lot easier said than done. You know how Jesus said to deal with it? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If necessary, here's the, here's the point, here's the here's, Here's the summary of that idea. If necessary, cast off sin by casting off that thing that causes you to sin. You know what? If, if, you, if you buy things to make yourself feel satisfied and you're in debt because of that, you need to cut your stinking credit cards up and not look back. If, if you can't watch television without turning around and, and beginning to lust after the women in front of you and it leads you to a place where, where you're looking at porn on the internet, you need to turn off the television, throw it out, get rid of it. Cast it out, quit playing with sin, quit it. That's what Jesus says. Easier said than done, I know. Oh, man, it's easy to stand up here and tell you that. Don't think I don't have my struggles. But weights, they're a little more difficult, especially if I'm, in, if I'm correct in my interpretation of it. If, if it's the good things we do that we allow to become sinful or allow to hinder us from following after God, it's much more difficult. Because the reality is we may not be able to quit doing what we're doing. By biblical standards, we're supposed to be doing these things. But I think we probably can't quit the good work that hinders us 
but we can change the attitude with which we do it. Man, providing for your family is a biblical expectation, it's a biblical responsibility, but why do you do it? Who do you think is really providing for you? Who do you think really gives you the abilities and the job and the opportunity? And, and who do you think makes sure that that company stays in business so that you can keep getting a paycheck? Who gets the glory for that? God. Women who blessed you with the child, who gave you the responsibility of being a parent, who enables you to teach them and lead them in the ways that God has given you. God. Who gets the glory for that? See, we, 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 we can't be running like I was running. We can't be running. And actually, maybe it's even better we're running backwards, looking at all the things back there, thinking, I'm getting closer to Jesus. I'm getting closer to Jesus. I'm getting closer to Jesus. And the whole time, all we're worried about is what's behind us. can't be there cast it off get rid of it walk away from it don't let it hinder you anymore and he goes on let us run with endurance the race that's set before us and we've gotten rid of the things i mean we're practicing and we're working on getting rid of the things it's probably a lifelong discipline here i am Christian for 20 some years been a pastor now for five years and finally realizing that sometimes I pastor not sometimes but often I pastor with a desire for your for your affirmation of my leadership rather than for God's glory it's a lifelong process but as we're getting rid of this stuff we're getting rid of it he says let us run with endurance let us run hard let us push forward let us throw everything out let's just radically run for Jesus. This isn't a call to a casual walk. He's not saying, hey, go for a walk in the park, stop and smell the daisies. He's saying, focus on the race and run. Run. See, the Christian life's not supposed to be a stroll in the park, it's a race to the end. It's push ourselves running all out, going for broke, nothing to lose. Why do we have nothing to lose? Because Jesus has already paid it all for us. He's got it waiting for us. In the Christian life, it's not, it's not to be lived on easy street. Man, I'm telling you, if you're Christian, if you are living on easy street, you're running the wrong race. You're running the wrong race. Go home, read Hebrews 11 and tell me that's easy street. Read about anybody in the scripture. Tell me that it's easy street. I'm not telling you that we're all supposed to get up and leave our jobs and, and change our vocations and give our life to ministry, but we're to give our life to ministry wherever we are. We're to be disciples wherever we are as we go. Sorry, I'm getting excited. I'm going to blow something out. Many of us were not able to run with endurance because we are so hindered by sin. You see why it's so important that we get step one taken care of so that we can follow in obedience in step two? It's 
it's imperative. For others, you're running and, and, you, and you need to be reminded to get your gaze in the right direction. You see, for some of us, many of us, I think, we're so caught up in our sin that we, we're just barely even creeping along. We're more concerned with our own lives and our own desires and our own selfishness that we disregard what happens on Sunday morning the other six days of the week. And we've confined God to a little box in our lives. But for, for, for others of us, for others of us, I, I think you're, 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 probably, you're probably in the same boat I am. I, you're doing good things. You're, you're striving hard. You're working diligently. You're pursuing Jesus. It's all good. But make sure you're doing it with the right motive. It's, I'm not saying stop doing something if you got the wrong motive. I'm saying get the right motive. Quitting is probably the wrong answer. But getting the right motive as you're doing the good thing is probably the right one. And then he goes on and he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This, become, this becomes it. I mean, when, when, we're, when, we, when we can't see Jesus... We can't run with endurance. When our lives are so caught up in the weights and the sins of our life and we can't see Jesus, we're not going to run with endurance. We're not going to pursue him in, in any way. We're not going to go after him. We're not going to run with, with abandon. We've got to keep our eye on the prize. We've got we to gotta maintain a perspective of what this is all about. Christian life, the Christian life is a marathon and Jesus is the prize. Is he enough for you? You get nothing else in this life. Is Jesus enough for you? I, I, I hope you can say yes. I hope you can sit here in this and recognize and point out the places in which you're at this place. And with me, you can repent. You can let go. Recognize your failure failure, recognize your need for his grace and recognize that you have been looking at everything but him. Sin, it, it hinders us from experiencing all of Jesus' grace and goodness. And, and Jesus expects us to quit sin, not because his grace is too weak, because he wants his best for us. He's not limiting you not trying to keep you from having a good time. He's not trying to hurt you in some way. His, his best intentions are for you. And he knows that to find the joy, to know the peace, to experience the, 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 the uh, pleasure of salvation, you've got to run this race. You've got to pursue him. You've got to keep your eye on him. Altogether, lay aside the weights, the sins that cling Run with endurance, keeping your gaze on Jesus. It sums, it sums up our lives as Christians. But inevitably, it's going to happen. We're going to get tired. We're going to slow down. We're going to want to give up. I didn't see this even until this moment. Don't, don't have it in my notes. Not, not, wasn't even really prepared to talk about it, but... It was about four weeks ago. I uh, 
I met with our oversight elders. And while we were in that meeting, they hammered me on some things. They loved me by telling me the truth. And then we prayed, and they left. And I was so fixed on my perspective of everything but Jesus. All I knew was what it felt like to be crushed. I went home that afternoon. It was a Thursday afternoon. I went home. I was emotionally, physically I was done. I was ready to call our leadership team and say, I, I, I can't do this. I'm done. I quit. Throw in the towel. Sick of it. That was the first sign along the way to find out that I was leading with my eyes on everything but Jesus. I'd begun to run a different race. See, I know now why I didn't have a sermon last Thursday. Because God needed me to be in this place so that I could lead you past where we're at. See, inevitably, we're going to get tired. We're going to want to quit. We're going to want to give up. And, and the writer here knew it. And he gave us words to encourage us and a promise to bring fulfillment. Consider him. Consider what he endured at the hands of sinful people. Consider his suffering. Consider the price he paid. So that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. You see, Jesus isn't just waiting at the finish line to be your prize. He's walking, running better. Walk, he, he's running right beside you, giving you strength all the way. His words at the end before he left his disciples, I will be with you to the end of the age. You're getting tired? You wanted to quit? Look at Jesus. That's where your peace your joy, your satisfaction, your fulfillment, your pleasure. That's where it comes from. These things that you put on pedestals, these weights that you let hinder you, will dissatisfy you. They will lead you to despair. These sins that you love so much and you find so pleasurable will crush you. Jesus says, look at me. Look at me. I've done it for you. I've made it possible. And now I just want you to look at me. Run with me. We get tired. And we want to give up. But we don't have to. We just need to identify the thing that's causing us to be tired. That's causing us to be faint-hearted. Because the promise of this passage is, is that if we're looking at Jesus, we won't be. It won't happen. And when it does, what are we looking at instead of Jesus? 
What are we considering other than him? What are we hoping in? What are we, what are we looking for satisfaction in? What are we thinking is going to give us pleasure? What do we think is going to give us joy? Look at Jesus. Now, this could be, I think, applied in about three different ways. I think there's three different groups of people in the ways that it should hit you. I think for some of you, you're hindered in your race. You've, you've made a good thing a God thing. You've, you've made something that's good and something that needs to be done and something that you should take part in. You've made it more important than Jesus. Just like I made being a pastor more important than just looking at Jesus. Man, I thank, thank you, Father, for showing me the lie. I'm praying, I have been praying that you show you the lie. So I, I, I gave you a piece of paper. There's actually a bunch of them spread out across the room. If you don't have one right next to you, share with people. I will make sure you get one before the end of the day. But I'm going to encourage you to take this home and do some homework. Homework? Oh, my gosh, no. Yeah, homework. If your Sunday is the only time you sit and think about God, you need homework. Ask yourself, what makes you angry? Why do you get so angry? I, I, maybe, maybe. Let me just use this as an illustration. I don't know if it's the case. But I've, I've just got up in your face. I got up in your grill a little bit. Are you angry at me? Why are you angry? Do you get angry at work? Why do you get so angry? What are you afraid of? What, what makes you afraid? And I'm not talking about phobias that, that, that are like, I'm afraid of spiders. Maybe there's some gospel stuff that you need to deal with, and there probably is. But I'm talking about things like I was afraid and felt stress and pressure if I didn't have a sermon for today. What do you fear? I tell you what I feared. I, I, I was afraid that you would find out I was weak. I was afraid that you'd find out that I don't have all the answers or that I'm not all that I want you to think I am. Now, you may not think I am all that I want you to think I am, going to go in some circles here, but the reality is, I don't care if you think that, I just want you to think that. You see, it's only my perspective that I care about. That's sick, isn't it? I'm broken. I don't want you to know that. It scares me to death that you might find that out. What are you afraid of? What do you, what do you lie awake at night stressing about? What, what drives you to despondency or despair? What makes you hate yourself? What makes you look at yourself and think, man, you are a loser? Some of us don't have that trouble, but some of us do. It's a real struggle. I, I want you to sit and I want you to deal with these questions and I want you to think through these answers. And I want you to identify in your life What's keeping you from looking at Jesus? The truth is, whether it's, whether it's a hindrance that you're allowing a good thing to become a God thing, or whether it's a, a sin that you're dabbling with that you shouldn't be dabbling with, there's an idolatry issue at the heart of that. There's something that you love more than Jesus, and you need to identify it, and you need to cast it out. Cast it off. Get rid of it. And you know why you need to do that? Not because I said that you need to do that. Because God said you need to do that. 
You want to know God like we've talked about all summer long, knowing God? That's the way you're going to get to know God. You start throwing that stuff off and running his race. And God's going to show up. Just like he did, sitting in the corner of my bedroom at a desk, staring at a forest green wall. He showed up. And there's another group of people I think this, this, this applies to and can be uh, uh, directly applied to because I think that there's people sitting in this room that have never trusted in Jesus and never started running the race. I think you do good things. I think you come to church regularly and you've fooled yourself because of all the good works you do. But you've never started running the race. You need to start step one. Look to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Go to Hebrews 11. Think about what it is to follow him and trust him. And begin running the race. These things might help you. But these things won't help you until you're ready to trust in Jesus and in him alone. And you have a nature that turns this from works to a response of obedience. The Christian life is a marathon. Jesus is your prize. And Jesus is with you every step of the way. That you can look at him and run with him. That you may not grow faint. That you may not grow, grow weary and faint hearted. Let's pray. Father, I, uh, I do thank you for this summer, <laughs> for the difficult words that I've endured, the time of stress and pressure, wondering what would happen if I didn't have a sermon. I thank you. Because I, I would much rather do this than what I've been doing. Would you be glorified today, God? God, in this moment, would you be glorified not just in my confession and repentance, but in the, in the confession and the repentance of this people, your people. Would you, through your spirit, just rest on them and bring attention to the weights and the sins that hinder. Convict, Father. Spirit, show them the truth and remind them of the grace that comes in Christ Jesus. That we may get up and run with endurance. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.